Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Baptism is referred to in Hebrews chapter 6 as an elementary doctrine. That doesn't mean that it's an unimportant doctrine. Actually, it means it's a foundational doctrine. It's a doctrine uh, of incredible importance. There are multiple denominations of Christian, faithful Christian churches that have totally separated from one another over this issue of baptism. And if there is ever a subject that people can have some strong opinions on, it's the opinion that surround baptism. And while it is my nature to want to talk about paedo-baptism and baptismal regeneration and some of the historical stuff that goes around it because I love all that information, I realize that most of you are still trying to figure out what paedo-baptism might mean. So I'm not going to do that. Uh, That is not what we're going to do. What I'm going to do is just preach as best I can what baptism is representing and in that, it is, it is our doctrinal position on baptism that it is not something that saves us. However, baptism is what the saved do. They do it out of obedience. And it's beyond just uh, a check mark on the list of Christian duties. It is a powerful emblem uh, or symbol of what happened to us as Christians. So, I'm going to end on baptism, but I'm going to start on a subject that I really love that's tied to baptism, which is the idea of us being united in Christ, or us being in Christ. How many of you have heard the phrase, in Christ? Anybody at all? That it's used over 73 times in the New Testament. And if you use all the prepositional phrases uh, that reference the Christian being connected to Jesus, which is with Christ, in Christ, through whom, in whom, all of those phrases that connect us to Christ, there's over 140 of those in the New Testament. It is one of the most important doctrinal ideas that we take for granted and just read right over But when Paul and Peter and all of the New Testament writers are writing, it was a mind-blowing volcano of information that was radical. The idea that we would be in the bosom of the Son of the living God. That we would be connected to Him. And what that means is an incredible, incredible reality and it should be incredible for us today and my my prayer is this morning that it will be incredible uh, by the end for you and for me so first corinthians chapter 1 verse 30 before i before i read this let's just go ahead and pray and ask god to help us hear what he wants us to hear father we come before you in jesus name and we thank you for this day we thank you lord for your word, and we thank you today, God, for the reality and the outworking of what you've said in Scripture. 
we're going to baptize three people this morning. And God, we thank you. We thank you that the reality of these words we get to participate in this morning. Lord, I pray that you would open all of our hearts and all of our minds to see the truth of what it means to be in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And just kind of set a tone here. It says, and because of him, we're talking about God, the Father, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Who, Jesus, became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. You did not get yourself into Christ. God put you into Christ. And He did that when you became a Christian. That is actually what you becoming a Christian means is you were put in Christ. Now, I already know your brains are looking at me like, I just want to get to the part that makes more sense. Because this is odd language, isn't it? Can everybody just agree with me if it's a little weird? It just seems like, I just like the simple stuff. Well, every time I read the Bible, it's not filled just with simple stuff. There, the, the, the complexity is not some overwhelming thing that's beyond the intellect. There, there, are in, there are people without written languages that have learned this truth that they were united to Christ and vibrantly lived for Him and they had what we would consider a first grade education. This isn't complex in the sense that you have to be really intelligent to get it. This is complex in the sense that it's a spiritual truth that has happened to you already, and we're reading it trying to describe what's happened, and our brains sometimes just don't want to participate in the thinking it through. So I'm asking you, think through with me, listen to what, what Paul is saying, that God, because of Him, you are in Christ. And he says something further. Christ has done something and become something for us and to us. Wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It's not saying that Jesus is wise, even though He is. It's saying that He became wisdom to us. And the reason He became wisdom to us is because we are united to Him. And the reason that we have righteousness, which I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this morning, and sanctification and redemption is because we are in Christ. All right, let's just keep going. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you can just... get this concept or this idea in that
spiritually speaking, when you became a Christian, you were placed in Christ Jesus, which is sometimes said you were united to Christ. You are one spirit with Him. That you are born again. You have a new nature. Jesus said that if you're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven, you have to be born again. And then He clarifies and says, born of the Spirit. And so, basic Christian doctrine is that Christians are not people trying to live better lives in order to be righteous. Christian doctrine is sinners are saved by the grace of God. They accept the free gift of God's grace through Jesus and He makes us new creatures in Christ, which is what we're about to read. And when that happens, what Paul is trying to describe is is we're actually placed in Christ, united to Christ. So that there's nowhere that you ever go that He isn't there. There's no time in your life that you are separated from Christ. Even though we frequently feel spiritual as a doorknob. And that there's no possible way that Jesus is anywhere nearby. That is not the reality. The reality is He's always there. We have been united to Him. So let's look at what it says in 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to look at um, verse 17. And it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, which is very similar to what 1 Corinthians said, that because of Him you are in Christ. Here it's saying that we are new Creatures. Another translation says alien species. We are something new in Christ. Not because of all the good things that you piled up. All my good works are piled up like firewood. And you can clearly see what I've done. And that's why I'm a new person. Because I turned over a new leaf. And I started going to church. And I started being a good person. That is not the message of Christianity. Every religion has that message, by the way. Every religion has a prove-it type element to it. Show it. Demonstrate it. Now, Christianity does have a prove-it, demonstrated element. But the difference is, is that we're proving it and demonstrating it on the basis of this change that God has done in us. If we don't get changed, there is no good works coming out of us. And there are no good works that you can do to get changed. You you can't come to God showing Him all the good things you've done. Because they're not good enough. His standard is perfection. And you can't meet it. You have to be changed. And that is what uh, Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 5. 17, he says that if you are in Christ, if you are united to Christ, if you are in Him, then you're a new creation. The old has passed away. The old you is gone. Behold, the new has come. When I first 
When I was 19 and I had rededicated my life and started living for the Lord appropriately, um, these are the verses that really like just stood out like a beacon. These are the verses that flew off the page at me that I had spent my entire 19 years growing up in church all the time, all the time, all the time with a sense of guilt that I was not measuring up. And I was right. I was not measuring up. I was not good enough. I was not holy enough. I had horrible thoughts. I had horrible things going on in my life. I was a dumb American teenage boy. I don't know if any of the rest of you have ever been dumb American teenage boys or dumb American teenage girls uh, or dumb American 20-year-olds or dumb American 30-year-olds or whatever age you are. But whatever age you are, outside of Christ, it was dumb. It was bad. Outside of Him trying to live a life for Him doesn't work. But because of the religiosity of our culture, or what used to be the religiosity of our culture, there's vestiges of it, but it's fading away, there's this sense of not measuring up because you aren't measuring up. These verses started screaming at me, all of this is from God who has put you in Christ. This new creation reality on the inside of what God has done through Christ is what you should be looking at. Not what you're doing, Steve, but what God has done in you which empowers you and enables you to live for God. You can't live for God without God. You can't do what He commands without His help. You will not serve Him without the empowerment of His Spirit. And that is why this phrase in Christ, through Christ, by whom, in Him, that phrase is used so many times because Paul is trying to beat it into their heads. You need Jesus. Is that simple? You need Jesus. You need Him every day, and you need to recognize what Jesus has done. And what He's done is change your heart. The prophecy in Ezekiel was, I'm going to take out the heart of stone and I'm going to insert a heart of flesh. And I'm going to write my law on that new heart. Keep, keep reading right here in 2 Corinthians 5. I'm going to go down to verse 21, which is one of the wildly strange, powerful verses of the New Testament. For our sake, He, the Father, made Him, the Son, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Spiritually speaking, this is an atomic bomb. And I pray that it would be an atomic bomb in your heart. For our sake, for our benefit, the Father made the Son to be 
sin. Who knew no sin? The sinless one, Jesus Christ, became sin on the cross. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when he said, Father, if this cup can pass for me, let it, let it pass for me. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. If you have it in your mind that Jesus was terrified of the physical death of the cross, you would be wrong. There are many men and many women who have been martyred throughout history, both for good things and heretical things, that gladly went to their death. Not afraid. And their maniacal devotion to what they believed to be true. Jesus was not afraid of a physical death. Jesus was afraid of verse 21. He was about to taste sin and death for you and me. All of us and all of our sin and Adam's original sin extending to the very last sin committed before God consummates the end of the age, all of sin Jesus was going to bear in His body on the tree. He was going to be made sin. Who knew no sin. God was substitutionarily, He was a substitute for us on the cross. And all of our sin was imputed to Him. That's another fancy word that simply means God put it on Christ. He put the sin of the world, past, present, and future, on Christ. Why? So that in Him, there's the phrase again, we might become the righteousness of God. Which almost sounds like blasphemy. Doesn't it? He is saying that Jesus became the sin so we could receive and become the righteousness of God. Now, let me really try to make, help us get this. Not the righteousness of Steve. Not the righteousness of the most righteous person you could think of. Think of the best person you can think of. Maybe it was your grandfather, maybe it's Mother Teresa. Whoever you think of when you think of that person is holy. Not their righteousness. The literal righteousness of God is what we received in Christ. Atomic bomb, I'm telling you. This, this is an atomic bomb. Martin Luther, when he was a monk, before he had a born-again experience, said that he would read Romans that says, talks about the righteous requirement of the law, and he would read that and hate the word righteousness because it screamed at him, you aren't this. And he knew it. And you and I know it. We are not righteous. Our thoughts are not righteous. Our actions, our selfishness, even we try to do good. There's this creepy little thing in the back of our mind saying, I hope Dan Emerson notices. There's, there's this wrongness about us that's called sin and we know it. And the more of the light of God's Word 
that encroaches upon our life, the more outside of Christ we hate the light coming in. We don't like it. That's why Jesus said men prefer darkness over light because you bring stuff out into the light and we can see how gross it is. That's why everything that's gross wants to hide in the dark. Side note, confessing private personal sins to other Christians helps bring stuff into the dark and kill it. Just side note. So, Martin Luther hated that word until he saw something. Mind-blowing that by faith in Christ, He gives me His righteousness. His. It's, it's, you're sitting here as a Christian with the righteousness of God. That is, wow! This is the great substitutionary atonement passage that Jesus took your sin to give you His righteousness. And it's called the righteousness of God. And we have that, not on ourselves, but in Christ because we're united to Him. This is what Paul was talking about in Philippians chapter 3. You don't have to turn there. Where he says, and it's a crescendo moment, where he says that I would have a righteousness not my own, but the righteousness that is through faith. An alien righteousness. Alien to me. Not because I helped old ladies across the street. Not because I gave up cussing and went on a keto diet. Not because I'm a good person. Not because I started saying my good night prayers and I started being nicer to my wife. Not because of those things. But because of faith in Christ, righteous, righteous nature that is alien to myself but freely given to me by the Creator of the universe. How did you get there? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. This is another famous passage. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read with verse 4. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. There, that phrase, with Christ, is the same as in Christ. It's, it is a connecting preposition. It's telling me that I am united to Him. He made me alive together with Christ. Even while I was dead in sin, He brought me to life. By grace you've been saved. Parentheses. That's how that happened. And He raised us up with Him. Seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you even believe what we're reading, by the way? Sometimes you just read over these to say that you read it, but just stop and think. He raised us up with Him. Jesus was raised from the dead. He raised us up with Him. And then Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. Nobody has any issue with that. 
But now Ephesians 2 is telling me that he seated me with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So throughout the entirety of eternity, he is going to be showing us over and over and over the immeasurable riches of his grace and his kindness. If you think heaven is going to be some meaningless drivel, this verse is showing us that it's an eternity of God continually and constantly showing his grace and his kindness. Verse 8. This is how you got there. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. You get some of the picture of what the Gospel is? Nobody gets to go to heaven. Not a single person. Not Moses. Not Jacob. Not Abraham. Not Paul. Not Peter. Nobody gets to go to heaven and say, I'm pretty righteous. Every one of them are going to say, I am a recipient of the righteousness of Him who loved me and died for me. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The way that you became in Christ was the work of God's grace through faith, not works. So what does this have to do with baptism? Well, if you turn to Colossians chapter 2, we will figure it out. Daniel, if you want to go get uh, Caleb, Dakota... Colossians chapter 2. I want you to look at verse 9. Everybody's still with me, right? Right? Everybody's with me? Okay, I'm just trying to see if there's any movement out here. The masks make your amens very quiet. There we go. Sometimes I can't tell. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in Him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This is a great verse if you have people involved in cults, which are everywhere, that try to make Jesus something other than God in the flesh. For in Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in Him. There's the phrase again. Who is the head? Jesus. He's the head of all rule and authority. In Him, you also were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, 
having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There is so much in here. When I was explaining, uh, normally when I try to explain this to adults or to children, what's happening in these verses and what's happening in the idea of being in Christ, it seems to help to use an illustration. So, I'm going to use an illustration. Now, I just prefer words. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. I just like words. But a lot of other people, apparently the majority of the human population, prefers illustrations. So, I want to try to give an illustration, and, and then people are like, oh, Jennifer and I have this type of stuff all the time. I'm talking, and I'm talking, and I'm talking, and I'm talking, and I can tell that everything I'm saying is meaningless. Not meaningless to me, not meaningless to her, just, um, I'm just talking. So, so what, what, if I throw in an illustration, she'll go, oh, oh. I'm like, how does that trump these seven paragraphs of information? It doesn't, but that's just, I don't know. I don't know. I like the words. The words to me paint the illustration. But, so I, but I get it. Illustrations are helpful. So let me give an illustration. These verses are telling me again, over and over, you heard the phrase, right? In Him, in Him, in Him. I'm united to Christ. I am in Him. And every time He's saying that, He's saying something is happening. Something has happened in Him. You were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands. Circumcision, removing a piece of the flesh. And it was a covenantal sign in the Old Testament that they had removed the sinfulness from among them and now they were a covenant people set aside to God. So now Paul is saying, spiritually speaking, we've had this removal of the old you. You're a new creation. You're born again. The old Steve is dead. There is a new Steve. And he's united to Christ. And that's, that's what he's saying. And he's saying that this is happening. And this is where baptism is so important. He's describing it as buried with Him, Jesus, in baptism. So Jesus, having died to sin, was buried in a tomb. And you, when you're baptized, are buried in the watery grave. How many of you have heard a preacher say that before? Buried in the watery grave of baptism. You were united with Christ in His death. 2,000 years ago, the, when you, by the grace of God through faith, said, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. I give my life to You. You are my Lord. When you did that, it is like this happened. This is you, and this is Jesus. Here's your illustration. He placed you in Christ. This is what happened to you. And so His righteousness is now yours. And His life is now yours because you are in Him. And in the same way that Jesus was buried because of Him dying on the cross, and in the same way that He was raised from the dead, 
you were there with Him. The punishment for your sin was laid on Jesus and you were there in Christ. Do you see what I'm saying? You were there in Christ. The punishment for your sin was made. And the debt was paid because you are now in Christ. Your sin is forgiven. These, these verses say that you were made alive together with Him because you were, you were there. You were in Him. You were raised up. And that crazy verse in Ephesians where it says, not only were you raised up to newness of life, but it also says you were seated with Him in heavenly places. Which doesn't feel like it on Monday when you're in a cubicle. Right? But the Bible says that you are in Christ. He is already declaring the future that you have in Christ is secured by Christ. And it is awesome. And baptism is this outward illustration, so to speak, that demonstrates to the world Caleb is in Christ. He confesses it to this room this morning and everybody online. Dakota is in Christ. Confesses it to this whole room and this whole uh, whoever's watching. It's, it's to the world. Corbett is in Christ. And he's confessing it to the whole world. I have been placed in Christ. I'm going to live for Christ. It is not a righteousness of my own that I'm trying to brag that I'm Mr. Righteous. No, 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 no. I am a sinner, but I've been saved by grace. I've been made a new creation. I'm born again. I'm in Christ. I'm in Him. He's made me alive with Him, and I am forgiven. The record of debt is gone. It's awesome. It's powerful. Baptism is something you can look back at as a memory and say, showed everybody there the reality of what Jesus had done. I remember when I gave my heart to Him. I belonged to Him. Praise the Lord. So we are now going to act out that reality this morning. So, Caleb, do you want to go first? Y'all right. So I'm going to have the worship team come up. We're going to remove this. And so, Mom, okay, we can wait. We can just, we'll just wait, Caleb. Okay, no, 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 that's totally fine. I'll give the band time to get together. Water's still warm. While we're waiting, I want to tell you guys a great story of God's mercy. I come in early to fill up the baptismal because we run it directly from the hot water tank so the water is warm and it's not freezing. Well, I thought while it was filling up, 
I could go out and take some trash out, and I did. And I put a little doorstop that didn't work in the door, so at 6.45 this morning, uh, I locked myself out of the building. Jennifer had, couldn't get a hold of her. Anyway, Chris came and saved the day. And when I came in here, the water had filled up to surface level tension. It was just, I thought we were going to come into a disaster. That God was good. I'm going to have all the kids in here. Caleb, are you ready? Church, while we do this this morning, I want to have all of you just just pray over every life that's coming up. Mom and Dad, you are free to come up and do whatever, however, if you want to take pictures. Come on in, kids. So you come down here to the end, and you just go ahead and sit down. So... So, Caleb, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? All right. See, we are going to baptize you. Are you ready? Before we do it, I'm going to pray over you, all right? Okay. Let's pray together, church. Father, we thank you today for Caleb. God, we thank you for his life. We thank you for his future. I thank you for his heart. God, I thank you that his times are in your hands. Thank you, Lord, that you have purposes and plans for his life as he serves you. And I pray that he would never forget this day. And as he walks with you, Lord, that he would grow strong in you and in the power of your might. God, that he would walk worthy of you, fully pleasing you in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. And I pray that his heart that is so tender for you and for your kingdom, God, that he would be used mightily to be a voice his generation. God, we thank you for it today. In Jesus' name. All right, Caleb. Caleb, we baptize you now in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Talked. You've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. Dakota. Hey, Dakota, you've accepted Jesus Christ. I know you have. We talked. I'm going to pray for you and then we're going to baptize you, okay? You saw how I did that with Caleb. All right. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you for Dakota. Thank you for his life. God, I thank you for his future. 
out in front of him, Lord, all of our days are in your hands. And I thank you. That is true for Caleb and for Dakota. And I pray, God, that you would do your work in his life. God, I pray you would show yourself strong on his behalf. God, I pray that he would hear you, that he would know you. God, that he would follow you all the days of his life, not having a righteousness of his own, but the righteousness that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for it. I pray he would be a voice in his generation for the kingdom of God. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. If you want to hold your hands like that, put your hands right here. Dakota, we baptize you right now in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> Good job. drop off right there. You little drop off. <laughs> Are you okay? Oh. I'll let you get your bearings there. You can sit down, Corbett, right there. There we go. Not ready quite yet. Corbett, you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life. Father, we thank you for our brother Corbin. We thank you for this public declaration of his faith in you. God, we thank you. We thank you for his life. God, we thank you that we are never forgotten. We are never discarded. Life is never, ever wasted in you, Jesus. You are the great Redeemer. And we thank you for your redemption. We thank you for your love poured out in Corbett's life. We thank you, God, for speaking to him and speaking to his heart and penetrating him with your grace and your mercy. God, we give you praise today. We rejoice in you. Thank you, Lord, that 
he would be a light shining on a hill as he serves you all of his days. God, we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Lord, if you want to grab your nose, like I said, we don't. Right now, Corbett, we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. God is good, isn't he? Let's everybody stand up and give the Lord just a hand. Give him some praise this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Church, we love you. Pray for these three that were baptized that God's grace would just be more and more every day in their life. You are officially dismissed. Have a wonderful, beautiful fall Sunday afternoon. Amen. Oh, and the offering is right here for those that are giving. Thank you. I have something giving your mom and we are